welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome. Uh, Glad you guys are all with us today. Uh, So each Christmas, uh, all of our locations in the family of churches, we we partner together to support a gospel-centric ministry uh, either in our region or globally, and and we kind of go back and forth between global and regional. And so this uh, 2022 Christmas, we partnered with a a regional gospel ministry. And so I'm going to ask Mary Indebury if she will come and join me because we partnered with uh, Women's Resource Center uh, over this Christmas uh, to, to help them kind of take next steps in their ministry. Also, Belinda uh, uh, Harvey is joining us as well, so come on up here. Would you welcome them this morning, the Lighthouse community? Great. Come on up. Come on up. Great. Uh, Mary Andybury, you know, she's a part of our church family. She's also uh, the nurse's manager, uh, right, at Women's Resource Center. And then, Belinda, you are uh, kind of the executive manager at Women's Resource Center. Okay. All right. Yeah, she's in charge. That's what she just told me. So, no, <laughs> no just kidding. That's not true. Um, but I want to thank you guys both for being here today and joining us. Um, so we partnered with Women's Resource Center this year in our Christmas giving project to help them increase uh, in kind of being able to go more medically uh, in ministry this year. And so some of the things that this giving project is going to help them with is to uh, increase their ability to serve through providing ultrasounds uh, to women who are pregnant, uh, to increase their uh, STI test and even uh, be a part of abortion pill reversals uh, within all of that. So that's pretty remarkable. And our goal together as our family of churches was actually $50,000. So uh, that was our goal. We thought we prayed. We thought maybe uh, the Lord would lead us in doing that. And so uh, just this week, everything came in and we were able to share that given for Christmas Giving Project was $58,817.23. Yes. <laughs> awesome. So we are super excited. This allows them to do expanded ministry in Hancock County in our region. We are so excited for them to be able to partner with them. We have we don't do we don't have like big giant checks. We just give a little card and slide it over like this. So yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of money in there, though, I'll tell you what. So, uh, But yeah, just a small way to say thanks. So thank you for letting us partner with you guys and, and being such a powerful ministry here in Hancock County. So can we as a church family take a moment and pray for Women's Resource Center and all of the different people that they serve and they connect? Let's do that together. Wherever you're joining us, let's pray together. Lord, we want to thank you so much uh, for the fact that you call us into ministry, not as spectators or observers and simply watching you do stuff, but you actually invite your church to partner with you. And we are thankful for the work that Women's Resource Center does in walking alongside uh, women, along men, children, uh, helping them to know who you are with clarity. And we would pray that as they step into this new arena of ministry, um, that they would see your hand at work in fresh ways, maybe in ways that they had never seen before. And we pray that many, many more lives will be affected and touched by the ministry that they do right here in our region. We love you. We pray your hand of blessing. May Jesus always lead the way for Women's Resource Center. And we ask these things in your great name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hey, can we thank Mary and Belinda one more time for joining us today? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right. 
my son asked me, he goes, uh, so what are you doing with the tub? And I said, well, we have baptisms in the 1111. He goes, well, what are you going to do during this service? So I'm just going to soak in the tub and teach. So uh, that's uh, that. Oh, okay, all right, never. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, but yeah, so if you do want to be a part of celebrating baptisms, we got a couple in the 1111 today that you might want to be a part of. Um, but I want to start out the teaching uh, this way this morning, and I just want to ask the question. When somebody hurts you, what do you charge? When somebody hurts you, what do you charge? Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, so when, when somebody, when a person hurts me, uh, let's just say that we'll do a hypothetical one, that it was my wife. Now, this has never happened. She's right. She's perfect. Uh, and so she never hurt me. But if she did, right, if she did, um, if Christina were to hurt me, what I charge is I charge closeness. What I end up doing when somebody hurts me, I tend to pull away. Right? I tend to pull away uh, from them. Um, I, I charge closeness. Now, I don't, I don't yell. Right? I don't yell. I don't fight. Um, I don't argue. Uh, in fact, um, when Christina and I are fighting with one another, it's very, very quiet in our house. Right? <laughs> and so, so when I'm hurt, what I charge is I charge closeness. And so I wonder, what do you charge when someone hurts you, uh, I wonder, do you try to hurt them back so that they feel the pain that you're feeling? Do you, do you yell? Um, do you get passive aggressive and make little sarcastic comments to the things that they say to you? Um, do you spread gossip about that person so other people look poorly on them? Uh, when, when someone hurts you, I wonder, what do you charge them, Right? See, this points to a larger reality is that every single one of us, we have hurt God. We've hurt God with our sin. We've hurt God with choosing a lifestyle that is uh, leading our lives without him, right? Where I'm in charge and and living uh, with him to the side. And we hurt God with our sin. And so the question that we're unpacking today is how does God respond to our sin. You know, if you're here last week, we asked the question, how do we respond to God's holiness? And so we're kind of flipping this to go, how does God respond to our sin? And so today, what I want to show you from the scriptures is how God responds to our sin, but I also want to show you how God's response to your sin can actually change your life. And so if you brought a Bible with you, uh, turn over to Isaiah chapter 6, or you can click over there on your device. We're going to be there. We're in this series called Guilt Gone, and we're discovering how it is that we can be set free from the weight of our guilt. And we're also discovering that, the, that guilt doesn't come by itself. It doesn't just come on its own, but rather there's something deeper that actually drives and sources the guilt that we feel. And so in order to be free from that guilt, we actually have to be free from that deeper something that is driving the guilt that we're feeling as well. So in Isaiah chapter 6, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Uh, this is the English Standard Version. You can follow along in the version that you have. And it says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. 
Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then this is the verses we're going to focus in on our time today. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. And said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah was retelling his story of his encounter with God. And in his best way possible, he's going, Guys, all I can tell you is I saw God. I saw him in his glory. I saw him in his holiness. I saw him, and it, it changed my life. This this is what he's doing his best to describe. In Isaiah chapter 6, he's saying, I saw God, and it changed me. And he's also saying, and God saw me, and that changed me too. And so I want to share three truths with you about how God responded to Isaiah's sin. The first thing that's very clear is this, is that God saw Isaiah's sin. God saw Isaiah's sin. See, Now, for Isaiah, seeing his own sin, this was something new for him. Because I imagine Isaiah's going, I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I don't do really that horrible of stuff. I'm a pretty good guy. But yet, when he's in the holiness of God, he clearly sees his own sin. And this is a new thing for him. It's new for Isaiah, but it's not new for the Lord, right? The Lord has always seen Isaiah's sin. It's never been covered up. Okay. Now, since we're talking about sin, I think it's very important that we take a moment to define exactly what sin is and make sure we're all talking about the same thing. So there's actually a passage in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, and it simply says this. It says, sin is lawlessness. Okay. Now, it's not necessarily talking about, you know, sin is, is speeding or sin is stealing or sin is... I mean, that's, that's true. But really what John is talking about here, when he's talking about lawlessness, he's saying sin is living without the leadership of God over your life, right? He's really talking about God's law. He's talking about God's direction, God's guidance. And so sin is lawlessness. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7 describes sin this way. It says, sin is rebellion against the Lord. So you've got sin is lawlessness, you've got sin is rebellion against God. And so at its core, yes, there are all kinds of manifestations for sin. We say hurtful things, we do hurtful things, we live self-centeredly, right? All of those things, but at its core, sin simply is living a self-directed life without God's leadership over you. That is the essence of sin. Sin is being your own leader, okay? That is, that's the core of sin. And you also have to know that sin has a separating effect. Sin breaks oneness with God. Sin breaks oneness with God. And when you break oneness with God, you now enter into death. Why? Because God is the source of life. 
And if you're separated from him, you're now separated from true life and you're cut off from life. And so sin is deadly. And God saw Isaiah's sin with clarity. By the way, God sees your sin with clarity as well. You can't hide your sin from God. You, you can't cover up your sin. You can't distract God. The, you know, like, hey, look over here, God. Don't look at my sin. Look over, you know, and you do like a dance or a jig or whatever. Like, you can't distract God in any way whatsoever. He sees it all, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable, right? God sees absolutely everything. And then Jeremiah chapter 16 takes that a layer lower to say this. This is God speaking. He says, for my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their wickedness concealed from my eyes. What God is saying is God sees Isaiah's sin. God sees your sin. And you can't hide from it. And you can't distract God from it, right? It's there presently. Now, the second truth is this, right? First one is God saw Isaiah's sin. The second truth is that God sent an agent to take away Isaiah's sin. God sent an agent to take away Isaiah's sin. So what God did, when you look at Isaiah 6, he directed one of the seraphim to take a coal from the altar to go touch Isaiah's Lips, And then God commanded the seraphim to explain what was happening in that moment so that Isaiah didn't get confused. You know, like, oh, hey, we got this new ritual where we go, we touch burning coals to each other's lips, right? And we're all walking around with puffy lips, uh, right? Because we're like, we're really good at turning things into religious acts. So the seraphim clearly communicates what's going on here. Now, there is a larger principle going on in this moment. And it's this, is that God loves to work in and through his creation to accomplish his will. God loves to do that, right? Next week in our series, you're going to see that God actually invited Isaiah to go speak on his behalf, right? God worked through the seraphim. God is going to work through Isaiah. Uh, Romans chapter 1 says that actually creation reveals the divine attributes of God. Jesus, by the way, who is God, entered into creation by wrapping himself in flesh, right? He comes as a part of the created world. And so you have to see that God loves to work through his creation, he loves to work in his creation to accomplish his will. And so what's happening is this moment in Isaiah chapter 6 of this, this seraphim coming and declare, like providing this, this forgiveness and declaring this forgiveness is actually pointing ahead to God's completed will, to the full plan of God solving our sin problem. Because when you look ahead in the New Testament, you see that God actually sent another agent. God sent Jesus, his son, into creation as a part of creation in order to reveal God to us. Jesus God's agent, right? He's God himself, actually came to take away the sin of the world through his death and his resurrection. And so this is actually pointing ahead to something greater that's actually going to be the true solution to what we're facing. Now that leads us to our third truth. We're going to spend just a little bit more time here today. And the third truth is this, is that God used a substitute 
to take away Isaiah's sin. God used a substitute to take away Isaiah's sin. So what the seraph does is he goes and he grabs a burning coal from the altar to put it to Isaiah's lip. Now, you have to know that there are two altars in the temple. One is the altar of incense. And so this is where, like, it serves two purposes. One, it allows all this smoke to rise so that it creates this barrier so that the priest cannot look directly on the presence and the holiness and the glory of God. So that's one altar. The other thing it does is kind of like an old school Febreze because you got like all of these animal sacrifices going on. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of a situation, but it's not the most pleasant smelling thing in the world. And so this incense is also kind of trying to help to cover up uh, some of that stank, uh, right? And so that's one part of it. But then you've got this other altar, which is the altar of sacrifice. And the altar of sacrifice, this is the place where the animals were actually sacrificed and then portions of them were burned, right? That's the altar of sacrifice. Now, Isaiah didn't say exactly which altar the coal came from, but the point is clear when you read this in its context. And the point is this, is that the penalty of Isaiah's sin was paid for by a sacrificial substitute. That's really the point that's being made here. Isaiah's sin was paid for by a substitute in his place. Now, maybe that's a very new concept to you, but under the Old Testament law, a sinner could actually receive forgiveness from God through a sacrificial substitute standing in their place, okay? So God allowed certain kinds of animals to serve as substitutionary sacrifices in place of the sinner. Now, you might be wondering, you go, why? Why would, why would that happen? Well, you have to remember, sin separates Sin separates us from God. God is the source of life. And so if we're separated from God, we're separated from life. Sin brings death into the equation. But God loves his people so much that he doesn't want you to be separated from him. God doesn't want you to be dead. God doesn't want his people to be separated. So he made a plan where a substitute could step into their place. And so practically, the way that this would work is when you sinned, you would go to the temple and you would bring uh, some animal. It might be a bird. It might be a goat. It might be a lamb or a ram or a bull. It just depends on what it was that you did. And you would bring it to the temple and you would go up to the altar of sacrifice and you would lay the animal on the altar and the priest is there with you. You would put your hands on the head of the animal and you would look directly in the animal's eyes while it's up there. And what this is, is this is a moment of identification. This is saying, I should be here right now. This should be me, but you're standing in my place. And so by putting hands on the head, by looking directly into the eyes of the sacrifice, you're identifying I should be where you are right now. And while all of that is happening, then the priest would grab his knife, reach around, and he'd slit the throat of the animal, and the blood would begin to pour out. And you would stand there and you would watch, holding the head of this animal while it died, knowing that should be me. That should be me. And then after that happened and the animal was dead, you would begin to, you know, kind of dismember the animal and parts of uh, the animal would actually be burned in the fire. And so some of that animal would actually intermix with the coals, becoming one of the coals as well. Now, what I'm about to say is super 
important. Because if you miss this, you will actually carry a deep misunderstanding as you read through the Old Testament, and you will develop a theology that is actually not consistent with what is in the Scriptures. So you got to hear this. I'm going I'm to read because I want to make sure I say it right here. Even in this religious work, okay, of bringing an animal to sacrifice, the sinner came to the altar of sacrifice in repentance and in faith that God would forgive him and return him to oneness with the Lord. You have to understand this. This is not about a work. This is still being done in repentance and by faith, okay? This is, this is still all about faith. So what happened was, right, this whole thing is supposed to be about faith, that God, if I'll do this, I'm trusting that God is going to forgive me, and I'm coming in repentance, I'm sorry for what I've done, and, and I, I, I should be the one on this altar, not this animal, right? What happened over time is the nation of Judah moved away from faith, and they turned this into a religious transaction. And what it became was, well, if I sin, I'll just go get me a goat or whatever, and I'm going to go to the temple, and I'm going to do the sacrifice, and then I'm good, and then I can go back to living however it is that I want to live. They had turned what was supposed to be an act of faith into a religious work. Okay? Now, there's no faith. There's no repentance. This was sinful worship. This was sinful worship, right? It looks like worship. It smells like worship. It kind of sounds like worship, but it's actually not. It's sinful worship. And God saw it because God sees everything, right? And God had clear thoughts about what Judah, the nation of Judah, was doing. Actually, if you look at Isaiah chapter 1, verses 11 and 14, this is God saying, he says, What makes you think, I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I'm sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. And then if you jump down to verse 14, it says, I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. So they're pulling all the right levers. They're doing all the things they're supposed to do. But what was the problem? Their heart. Their heart was far from God. This was all about work and not about faith. And what ended up happening is God actually rejected their substitutionary sacrifices. He rejected them because it wasn't real. It's fake. And their hearts were far from God, and their hearts were not repentant, and they didn't come in faith. Now, let's go back to our third truth. God took away Isaiah's guilt and sin. Why? Because in this moment, this was not a religious act for Isaiah. This is not Isaiah coming and pulling levers to get what he wants. He saw God and he saw himself. And Isaiah lets us into his mind and into his heart. Because what's Isaiah's response? It's confession. It's confession. It's repentance. And it's by faith that, he, that grace is applied to Isaiah's sin. You know what Isaiah did? Isaiah believed. 
He believed, and Isaiah's guilt was taken away, and his sin was atoned for. Isaiah received atonement. You know what atonement is? It's literally, you break the word down, it is being brought back into at-one-ment with God. Remember, what does sin break? Sin breaks oneness with God. And yet repentance and faith remove guilt and sin and return us to at-one-ment with God. Isaiah got that. And you have to see that Isaiah did not cleanse himself. Isaiah did not forgive himself. Isaiah made no sacrifice for himself in this moment. Isaiah didn't even make a promise on the front end, like, God, if you forgive me, I'll be a missionary. Like, I'll go, you know, I'll go to Africa. I'll wear polyester Bermuda shorts. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Just forgive me, cleanse me, set me free from all of the guilt. No, Isaiah received at one mint with God as a gift. And Isaiah believed in the work of God. Isaiah believed in the work of God. And this is still true for you and me today. There is no change. It's still true for you and me today. Is you must believe and you must trust God to take away your sin. It's no different. You must believe and trust God to take away your sin. And so like Isaiah, like the nation of Judah... You and I suffer from the effects of sin. See, all of us have lived lawlessly. We've lived in rebellion against God. Some of us are still there now, today, right? We're living life under our own leadership. We live self-directed lives without God. And the consequence for our sin is separated from God. When you're separated from God, you're separated from life which means you are now entered into death. We're not at one with God when we're outside of Christ. We're actually separated from him. Now, whether you see it or not, whether you see your sin or not, you have to know that God sees it. God sees your sin. It is clear to him, and you can't hide it from him. You can't hide your sin with good works. You can't hide your sin with, like, super great church attendance, right? It's like... Three, first three Sundays of the year, I've been here, right? That counts for something, right, Lord? Like, that's got to be good something. You can't gain it with religious habits. You can't gain life through wealth or success. Do you know what you need? You need a substitute. You need a substitute. But Hebrews 9, verse 22, is very, very clear, right? It says that without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness of sin. But it's not goats, and it's not lambs, and it's not bulls anymore, right? Hebrews continues when you look at chapter 10, verse 4. Actually, let's read this passage out loud together, starting with, for it is impossible. Are you ready? Go. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It is impossible. It's impossible. What that means is there has to be a better substitute. Jesus is the better substitute. This is the plan that has been pointing ahead to all of the Old Testament, right? That the temple, that the altar sacrifice, the altar of incense, this moment in Isaiah 6, have all been pointing ahead to the true, true, full, complete solution for sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar, how long? Day after day, 
After day, after day, after day, he never stops, offering the same sacrifices again and again. Why? Which can never take away sins. But our high priest, talking about Jesus, our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for our sins, good for all time. And then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. And when the priest sits, it means his work is done. Notice that the priest who is sacrificing bulls and rams, they stand day after day, again and again. But our high priest sits. Why? Because he's the final, ultimate sacrifice for all sin, for all time. See, it was actually Jesus' sinless life that made him the perfect sacrifice. And it was his death on the cross that paid, right? He stepped in as our substitute. And it was actually Jesus' resurrection, which was God's approval. When Jesus, you have to understand this, when God raised Jesus from the dead, what God was saying is, I approve of your sacrifice. You have made payment. It is done. It is over. There's nothing else to sacrifice. Jesus, you are it. And so his resurrection was the approval. And so now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in a place of honor. There's no more bulls. There's no more lambs. There's no more goats because the lamb of God is the final substitute for us. But just like the Old Testament, you must come to God in repentance. You've got to reject the idea that living life on your own without God is a good idea. You've got to come to God in faith, believing that God has forgiven you, not because of what you do, but because of what Christ has already accomplished on your behalf. And you have to believe that he has made you at one with him through Christ. He's atoned for your sin through Christ. See, you have, to, you have to see, it's not that in the Old Testament, people were forgiven by giving sacrifices. In the New Testament, people are forgiven by faith. Actually, in the Old Testament, you were forgiven by faith. You were saved by faith. Just like you were saved by faith by, through Jesus. See, the Old Testament is just pointing ahead to that which was going to be fulfilled. It's always been about repentance. It's always been about confession. It's always been about faith and belief and trust in God. There's not like some switch that happened when Jesus came. It was always faith. You know, when I came to faith 25 years ago, I did not understand any of this, right? Because I wasn't raised in the church at all. I didn't know anything about Old Testament law. But what I did understand that Thursday night, what I did understand was I felt the loneliness deep within my soul. I knew that, right? I was keenly aware of my life without God, and I saw the pathway of where that was going, right? It's amazing, because like when you're 16, 17 years old, you can't see about five feet in front of your face, right? But for some reason, the Holy Spirit allowed me to see like what life without him looked like going ahead, and it scared me. I wasn't afraid of hell. I wasn't because I didn't really understand any of that. What I was afraid of is the direction that my life was going. And that Thursday night, I recognized that I was done with that. And so it was during a church service after the pastor taught from the Bible, he invited people to make a decision to believe. He invited us to trust God, that God would forgive us because of what Christ had done. And that night, that night I believed. That's, I didn't know what else. I just believed that what he said was true. And that night was the beginning of my transformation that has been going on for the last 25 years of my life. 
That night I was made at one mint with God. Listen, you don't have to understand everything there is to understand about God or salvation or the Old Testament to take your first step of faith. In fact, until you take your first step of faith, it it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't because it's not until the Holy Spirit steps into your life and begins to open your eyes and your mind to truth and to reality that you really begin to grasp what Christ has done and what God has done for you. It's amazing that the more I learn about God and who he is, the more I'm overwhelmed by his kindness and the more I'm overwhelmed by his love. You got to think about this. God sees my sin. All of it. Oh, God, right? God sees all of my sin. And he still wants to be at one with me. What do you think about that? He still wants to be at one with me. God sees all of your sin. God sees all of your hurtful actions. God sees all of, he hears all of your hurtful words. God knows all of the messed up thoughts that go through your mind that you hope never come out to other people. God knows and he feels the frustration and the pain that you feel in your life that sometimes you would rather not exist at all. God sees all of that. He sees all of your sin and you got to hear me. He sees it. He sees how nasty and ugly and dirty he sees all of it. And God still wants to be with you. And God wants you to be with him because he's the only one who can actually solve your sin. He's the only one who can solve and take away your guilt. And and what's amazing is when he does, it begins to transform your life. And so now when someone else hurts you, you don't have to charge them anymore because you haven't been charged for making the most significant hurt that could be made, right? Since you've been forgiven freely, now you can forgive freely. You don't actually have to heap guilt on top of each other. I don't have to pull away from people when I'm hurt. And so my question is this. If you're in Christ, who do you need to stop charging? If you're in Christ, whose bill do you need to rip up? Or whose bill do you need to mark over top of it, paid in full by Christ? And just get rid of it. See, the only way you get to that place is by trusting God to take away your sin. And when he takes away your sin, your guilt goes with it as well. You've got to know that you can be at one minute with God, right? And I imagine, what could your life look like without guilt weighing you down? Free from the fear of shame. Being able to make decisions that are in alignment with God's character rather than constantly worrying about what other people are going to think or what they're going to say or how they might judge you for trusting and following God. Living every day with purpose, knowing that God loves to use his creation to reveal himself. And you're his creation. He would love to use your life to reveal himself to others. Imagine what it would be like to enjoy God's grace and to simply worship him in gratefulness. Moving on from the past and actually getting to live today. 
See, this is just a small glimpse of what a guilt-gone life looks like with God, but it only comes through believing that God has already forgiven you in Christ and what he's done. And so I just want to talk to two groups of people. One, if you're, if you're already a Christian, I think what this is inviting us to do is to simply worship God. Like just worship him and, and just love him and celebrate him and honor him and thank him and praise him. Like really worship him. Thank him for doing what you could never do. Tell others about how he set, set you free. Let his praises be upon your lips. I think one way that actually might help you is, is to learn more about this understanding of atonement. And, and so this is the next step that's actually on the back of your connection card. I've got a, an article that I found about atonement that I think you might find really, really helpful. And if you'd like to receive that, just check that on the back of your connection card. I will send that to you tomorrow if you put your email address on there. Um, and so I think that actually learning more about Jesus being our substitute actually draws us into worship, actually draws us into thankfulness and gratitude. But if you're already a Christian, I would invite you to worship God. Now, if you're not a Christian yet, you've got to ask God to take away your guilt by taking away your sin through Christ. You just ask him. And then what you do is you believe. You believe. You believe that he did it. You believe that he loves you. You believe that he's actually done it. And you learn how to live relying on him, stiff-arming a life under my own leadership. Resist being in charge of your own life and instead rely on God for absolutely everything. Because you need to know this. You were created to know God. You were created to love God. And you were created to rely on God for absolutely everything in your life. And the first step to getting there is putting your faith in the substitute of Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes and to simply ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And then I just want you to listen to him for a moment. Staying in a mode of prayer, I just, I want to talk to to some of my friends this morning that you're realizing for the first time that you need a substitute in your place to save you from sin. You can't be good enough. You can't come to church enough. You can't build religious habits. You can't fast enough. You can't pray enough. You can't serve enough to take care of your own sin. You need a substitute. And if you're ready to live guilt gone because your sin has been gone, it starts with faith in Christ. And you just simply make that decision right where you're at, right from your seat. You decide to believe that what God has said is true. And if you're in a place that you're ready to do that, I want to simply pray with you. And so let's pray together. And if this is something that would simply help you express maybe what's on your heart, what's in your mind. Maybe you don't know how to say it in your own words. This will just kind of guide you. You can just pray along with me, silently in your mind, out loud. It does not matter. But simply this, just say, God, I know that you see my sin. I see it too. And I realize that I need a substitute. 
Thank you that Jesus is the better substitute. I'm putting my faith in him. I believe that you're forgiving me as an act of grace and as a gift to me because what Christ has accomplished. I know I need a forgiver. I know I need a leader. And I want it to be you. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. Now, that praying that prayer is no different, right? It's in the same frame that if you're taking an animal up to the sacrifice, just do it because you're supposed to, and there's no confession, there's no repentance, there's no faith, that prayer is about as healthy as it is as sacrificing a bull or a goat. It's got to be by faith. But if you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer by faith, and you're ready to follow Jesus, I wonder if you would let me know on the back of your connection card. Two reasons. One, I want to pray with you. And two, I want to help you take next steps in knowing God. That's what someone did for me when I made a decision to follow Jesus 25 years ago. And so we want to help you as a church follow Jesus too. So here's what I want to ask everybody to do here in the house. Uh, If you're at Lighthouse, I'm going to ask you to stand as we prepare to re-engage in worship. And two things. One, if you're a believer and you've been redeemed by Christ, what an opportunity to know that you can worship God just wholeheartedly and, and celebrate him in joy, knowing that he is your better substitute, right? But the other thing I would say is this, is we always love to pray for one another at Lighthouse. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have prayer leaders available at each corner of the room. And they're going to be available to pray with you about any area of your life at all. So the band's going to sing one more song. And if you'd like to receive prayer, I'm actually going to ask prayer leaders if you'll start heading to those corners right now so people know where um, the prayer leaders are going to be at. And we're just going to ask during this time. This is a time of worship. Uh, Unless you've got an emergency, like just hang here. Like let's make this a time of worship and really focusing in on the Lord. But as we're singing, if you'd like to pray, go to one of these corners and we are ready to pray with you. So let me pray for you. And then we're going to worship the Lord. Holy Spirit, I I pray that you would draw absolutely every single person who needs prayer right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.